0: Hold on to the sides of your seats. This, this this, woman is amazing. If you've ever heard Tavia bring the word of God before, you know you're in for a treat. Me, I'm just hoping to get one thing. I'm sure you've got like 75 different things for me this morning. But I'm, I'm going to try and grab a hold of one or two as my uh, big takeaways for today. I love this young lady. She, uh, Your fire for God and your passion and your desire to share. In this space is awesome. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, Holy Spirit's already working on it. Yeah, I'll pray for you. Yes. Ooh, enough talking up. All right, let's unleash it. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you and praise you for Tavia. Thank you for the preparation. Thank you for your laid on a heart. And right now we just pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Would you just come and fill Tavia? with every little bit more that she was worried that wasn't there yet. Would you still her mind so that she just hears you? And Father, for each and every one of us in this room, would you just come right now, help us to block out the things of the world and help us to soak up what you want to speak to us this morning. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: All right. Okay, we're here. So, my hope is that you're going to hear God, not me. (laughs) But God speaks through people. And so, I'm going to start with um, a little bit of my story, which is, as most of you know, my dad died recently. Uh, He had stage four esophageal cancer. And uh, the symptoms of that had been hidden by the fact that he also had Parkinson's. That was killing him already. Um, now, I'm a good I'm a good vineyardian, okay, so my mindset is, of course, and, and what I've seen in the Bible, you know, God's desire is to heal, uh, and that God does heal. So, of course, I prayed for my dad, but my dad, uh, his mindset was slightly different, like, you know, he believed in God, uh, absolutely, and he desired very much to be healed. Uh, cancer is not fun, as I'm sure many of you know, and he was like, you know, if God wants to heal me, that would be great, if... Our mindset, our way of thinking about things affects what we do, do and what we, how we live. So how we think about God may affect whether we see the kingdom break in or not. This, this you know, your will be done, not my will be done, we, we, we heard it, in, you know, we hear it in the, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we hear Jesus saying in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. And which is that is totally appropriate because he's being an obedient son there. That's not a context of healing Uh, Nor is, you know, the Lord's Prayer isn't saying, you know, your will be done in healing, not mine. It's a different thing. But from my father's way of thinking, he's being an obedient son. But he had an incomplete picture of who God is and that affected how he lived. So my mindset is really shaped by, obviously, as as I've said, the Bible, but the fact that I was healed uh, pretty much right here, somewhere here, um, you know, uh, I don't know. Ten years ago, um, Ken Fish was, I think, visiting, and um, oh, rain. I always love it when it rains because that's God, Son of God's blessing. I'll take it. Um, Ken Fish was visiting. He had a particular word, and I went up for that word. And it wasn't Ken who prayed for me. It was uh, it was Nicole and I think other people. I wasn't in a position to notice much. My body was like jackknifing, and I felt afterwards. I didn't sort of have a feeling in my body, but I, I had faith. I was like, I believe I've been healed. Um, and, so, and it was a pretty awful condition. I had to take medication three times a day and I had to wait like an hour before and after so it hugely restricted when I could eat, it restricted what I could eat, and the doctor had declared that I would have to take this medication for the rest of my life, plus some other really yucky things medically that had to happen. So it was a horrible thing that I had and it was a wonderful thing to be set free of. Uh, you know, and I, in faith I was like, even if I see symptoms I'm going to be like, no, I'm healed uh, and the symptoms would go away. And I went to my doctor who fortunately was a Christian and I explained I'm going to go off my medication and she's like, all right, let's see how that goes. You have my permission. Um, And I haven't been on the medication for 10 years. So I'm definitely healed. Like there's no question about that. I have that in my body. At the same time, because God is, you know, a God of abundance, it wasn't something that I was called up for but uh, terrible back pain that I'd had manifesting unexplained reasons. It was just had t- terrible back pain. It was so bad, I would have to, like, lie on the floor to teach some of my classes. Um, it affected how I... The pain would affect how I interacted with people. It was horrible. And interestingly, I'd actually had a prophetic word about it while I was at a Baptist church. It wasn't from a Baptist person. Um, but they were there visiting for a course, and, and she, I still have the piece of paper where there was uh, this picture of a tree, because she was using it, sort the picture she'd seen, and that I would, she was basically, in her word, it was like, look, God said you're going to be healed of this, and I was, you know, I sort of held on to that, and I have been, like that, I haven't had that back pain, I used to have to go get massages, yeah, years and years and years, I don't know how long, It's it's simply not something I think about anymore. And I've had other healings since. I have these touchstones in my body that I know God heals because I know, like it's, I know because He has. So I've got this expectant faith, but also, so you know, I'm seeing, I see the kingdom break through. But I also, of course, at other times, I'm, I'm not seeing the kingdom breaking through. You know, in answers to prayer, whether it be for healing or for other things. Now, the word of God, you know, says God says, you know, you can ask anything in my name and I'll do it, but you know, we all have the experience where uh, not actually getting that answer to that. I've asked, and uh, hello. Um, so, we have this tension. So, when we're not seeing, you know, um, what God has promised, it's important to ask him, you know, God, help me understand what's going on. Um, I was recently uh, needing some breakthrough for something, and I was seeking God's presence with persevering expectant faith. Now, before you get the idea that I was on my knees, and I was like, oh, a faith, a faith? No, I was lying down in weakness and in pain. but I was still seeking God's presence, fixing my eyes on Him, I persevering, I had expectant faith, I was declaring that He heals even when I wasn't, you know definitely was not feeling it. And I had felt God speak to me, and he said, "Look, you understand authority. You understand what you can command healing. You understand my character, that I, I, I'm God who heals." Uh, You know, you're seeking my presence, but you've missed that faith matters to me as well. Uh, In Hebrews 11.6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. And so, obviously, when God speaks to you, you're like, all right, I'm going to pay attention to that and just have a little bit of reflect. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Uh, Just because of various experiences in my life, I was very wary of that The reason you didn't get healed or didn't see breakthrough is because you didn't pray hard enough or you didn't have enough faith. And so i been a bit cautious about faith. And also because if it's reliant on I've exerted this much faith in my body and I've said things, certain phrases in the right way, I will get this outcome, um, that's doing magic. That's trying to control things to get an outcome. That's not a relationship with God. But that said, I, I realised I had sidelined faith as a factor. Because it is a component. It's like egg in a cake, you know. Um, it's part of the mix. It's not everything, then you have a boiled egg. Uh, but it is part of the component. And yes, I acknowledge those people are like, and you can also have a cake without egg. Yeah. All right, it's a metaphor. All right. So consider Job. Uh, a friend of mine recently um, just brought this to She spoke about this, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. So Job... He's like had all his prayers answered. He has favor in every area of his life. He is like the prosperity gospel dream, okay? Everything he prays for, he gets. And the devil goes up to God and he's like, you're just magic for Job. You know, everything he wants, you give him. Favor, favor, favor. He doesn't really love you. But God, he's like, no, no. Job seeks my presence with expectant and persevering faith. So, go ahead. And now I want you to notice that Job didn't change anything in that he was doing. He's gone from having his prayers answered to suddenly, none of his prayers are being answered in any part of his life. Everything goes to horribleness. He's in pain. Uh, His prayers are not being answered. I just quickly looked up Job and in chapter 30 and 31, I found him saying, I'm asking you, Lord, to answer my prayers. And you're not answering. God, answer me. So he is persevering in seeking God's faith. He is confused. He is frustrated. He is hurt. He is in pain. He is grieving. But he is still persevering in seeking God with expectant faith. And you see, that attracts God's presence and his power. A mighty thunderstorm arrives. Now, if that's not power personified, I don't know what is. And a bit like the New Testament... Maybe it was a situation where some people, some of the, you know, there were these guys there who had been, you know, talking at Job. Maybe some said it thundered. But Job was expecting to hear God. And he got to hear the audible voice of God give one of the longest and most amazing speeches in the Bible. And note, also, it wasn't that God didn't want to heal Job because he then answers his prayers and heals Job and restores a bunch of things to him. So we know that there are other components in why we may or may not see the the breaking in of the kingdom of God. I get to have a daily example of this in my life. Um, I have a cat named Zoe and um, I'll be doing stuff around the house and she has a little food station and I'll be walking past and suddenly my gaze will be captured by her gaze. She's sitting there and she's poised, every whisker, a quiver, her whole body radiant with expectant faith. She's just looking at me and she's like, you're my human... (laughs) And you give me food. That's what you do. You feed me. And she's just looking at me. And I'm like, I've got things to do, but I, and I, you know, often I'll go past and I'm like, I've got to turn back because her gaze is fixed on me with expectancy. And I'm like, oh, how can I disappoint you when you have so much expectant faith in me? You're a stupid human. And she's like, you're my wonderful human. You're going to feed me. And I do. Because... I'm her wonderful human who gives her food. So I'm like, here, have some oral snacks. Um, and it reminds me, regularly, daily reminds me that God loves, he's drawn to, when we fix our eyes on him in expectant faith, it draws his presence. When we declare, like we have already this morning, who he is and who we are as his children, he's just like, I just want to hang out with you guys. It's like, it's like sometimes it is at church when we'll be like, you know, we love you, God. And he's like, oh, I love you. And we're like, oh, we can feel your presence. Oh, we really love you, God. You're great. And he's like, oh, I love you, guys. I'm going to pour out more of my presence. And you're like, oh, my goodness, look what you just did in your power. And he's like, oh, wait till you see this. Boom. And we're like, oh, my goodness, God, you're amazing. We love you. And he's like, I love you. And we're like, no, we love you. And it's this lovely spiral. And I feel for those churches where they have song and then they sit down and they stand up and I understand that they're, they're trying not to, they're wary of manipulating an atmosphere and I think they misunderstand and it's not good, don't, you don't want a manipulation but I think they misunderstand that what they're seeing is an atmosphere being created is, is just actually the presence of God in this spiral as we respond to him and he responds to us. But the thing is, on the flip side, oh, and also, yeah, actually, I just want to honour that this church is really attentive. That There are people here that when, if they can feel that God is present, that they will, you know, not just sit in the ritual order of what we do, but actually pause things so we can focus on what God is doing. You know, what's your will here? That's an example of God, you know, what's your will in context, the right way. But the flip side is, if you're not expecting God to show up, like you know, Job's friends, you might miss that God is there. You see, this is about mindset. God can be present. And, you know, we might, he might not be present in a way that we expect him to act, but he might be present and we might not see him. And the New Testament, the Gospels give us clear examples of this. And so if you're going to church and you're not expecting to show up, you might miss that he's there and you might just, all you might see is the ritual. And like we saw during COVID, you just might stop coming. And, I mean, we all do this. Even in this morning, I was like, "Mm, repenting. (laughs) You know, we get into the ritual. And rituals are important. I really value them. Um, They're actually very important. Uh, But we can forget. And so I've been really trying, um, you know, the past year or so to really cultivate expectant faith. And I've realized that the more I expect to see God, I see God at work without any expectations of how he might choose to look or operate. Um, And in fact, I've actually realized the place during my week where I'm most likely to see supernatural breakthrough is at church. Because this is where multiple people are gathering with expectant faith to seek his face. And God's presence and power is drawn to that. I know Kirk and Nicole mentioned to me, they're like, oh, maybe you can preach about the conference. And I'm not going to, but there's a lot in the conference that's permeating you know, the things I've been thinking about. And it's just so wonderful when you're, you're with a team of people. Uh, you didn't know what was going to happen, but all of a sudden you're praying for someone and, you know, you you're see maybe demons are being cast out or they were in pain and now they're not. And they're like, oh, my goodness. And you're like, wow. Or there's, you know, a word of knowledge and somebody else gets the same word of knowledge and you're like, cool, we're on track with God. Um, you know, or somebody comes back later and say, oh, you prayed and this happened and now I've had breakthrough in this area. I mean, that's great. That's, that's life-giving. You know, like, when I get to see that happen at church, it is the best moment of my week, you know, and I want to see more of it. But still we have this tension, you know, we can have expectant faith, we can be seeking God's presence, persevering, and we can both see God break through, and then in another area of our life, absolutely not see God break through. And the Bible, surprise, speaks to this. I'm just going to have a little drink of water. You can, you can think about what I've been saying All right. Now, unsurprisingly, I'm going to Hebrews, because like, Hebrews has literally chapter 11, the famous faith chapter. Um, but I think we need to keep in mind that it sits within the context of the whole book. So in Hebrews, uh, the writer is uh, basically explaining to his Hebrew readers how Jesus fits in with the Old Testament. So it's about Jesus. Also, we need to keep in mind that the verses and chapters that are imposed upon the text. They weren't there to begin with. They're super helpful, like really helpful, yay for verses and chapters. But chapter 11 sits in a context of a a point that the writer is making that starts in chapter 10 and resolves in chapter 12. So in chapter 10, verse 32, because chapters and verses are helpful, uh, the writer is explaining to his readers, he's like, yeah, you have suffered, but you've not been defeated. You've endured, but you're actually going to need continued endurance and faith is going to be part of this. Now, because it's the Bible, sometimes we forget that there are real people here. These people are enduring something, they're suffering something. Of course they're praying for it to stop, the suffering to stop, whatever they're enduring, having to endure to stop. Okay, they're just like us. Um, so they're seeing and not seeing, you know, um, the kingdom break in because these are New Testament peoples and the kingdom has come. And so in um, chapter 11, the writer, as they're saying, you know, you need endurance and faith as part of that. They give a whole bunch of examples of people persevering in faith and seeing the kingdom break in, um, well, not the kingdom because it's the Old Testament, seeing God break in and also not seeing God break in. Um, And they list a bunch of people who got things as a result of their faith. And for me, since up about until a week or, you know, maybe six weeks ago, let's say, uh, this had been really undercut for me by... Verse thirty nine and verse thirteen, where it says they didn't receive the things that were promised, and I'd always interpreted that as you just got to keep having faith despite the fact that you're gonna get nothing, which is a really joyful gospel. Uh, My mindset was wrong, and I was reading it after God had, you know, revealed that faith mattered to Him, and I'm like, okay, actually, this makes no sense because they got heaps of things. In verse 6, as I've read before, you know, whoever draws near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. And it isn't just a reward of his presence, although that is, number one, the best, but because it lists a bunch of rewards. Um, Abel gets approval and guidance. Enoch is literally kept from ever dying. He just goes straight into eternity, I guess. Uh, Noah gets Words of prophecy. Those are things we'd like to have. Uh, He gets righteousness and also saves humanity from obliteration. This is a good thing. Abraham gets obedience. He gets courage. His wife, who's 99 years old, has a baby. So he gets a miracle. That's definitely a miracle. Um, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, they also get words of prophecy. Uh, Moses' parents. I really like this one because of the context that I live in. They get courage and wisdom to disobey the government when it's making evil orders, which is definitely happening in our time. Uh, Moses gets courage. Uh, He's able to protect the Hebrew population from the angel of death and oh, the Red Sea parts an astounding miracle on anyone's terms. And then the writer is just like, oh, I've got so many examples. They're just like, they conquered kingdoms, uh, they enforced justice, attained promises, stopped lions, quenched fire, escaped the sword, made strong, put armies to flight and received people back from the dead. And then they give some examples of things they had to endure and persevere through. Now, I thought I had a bad week, but frankly, I wasn't flogged, stoned or sawn in half. But they didn't... Get what was promised, it then says. And that doesn't make sense. I mean, what's going on here? And then I realised I had the emphasis wrong. It's not they didn't get what was promised. It's they, they didn't get something else that was promised. Which makes sense if you ignore the verse and you actually just continue reading into the next verse and into the next chapter. Because the next verse says God provided something better for us, that's that something that was promised. So they got prophecy and miracles and victories. I mean, what's better than that? This is a church. There's only one answer. The answer is Jesus. All right. Remember, this is sitting in the Hebrew. Con- the context of Hebrew is that the book is about how does Jesus fit in. So they didn't get Jesus, but we do, and we get all the other stuff because God rewards those who seek Him. So I'm going to read on into chapter 12, and I'm kind of going to, I'm going to, you're going to feel like I'm sprinting through it. And I, I appreciate that when I preach, it probably feels like I'm sprinting anyway. So as Corey said, hold on. Um, I'm going to paraphrase, and I'm going to pick out some key phrases and meanings, just because in order to understand verse 1 and 2 that follow on from chapter 11, I need to get to the end point at verse 25. All right. So they've given all these examples of people who've had faith. and verse 1, it refers to these guys. They're the cloud of witnesses. It says, you know, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders or weighs us down and the sin that so easily clings and entangles. And let's run with endurance the marathon marked out for us. Now, I know it says in the verse, it says race. But in the context about perseverance, marathon, it just might help you give you a bit of picture in terms of the word race. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So this whole previous chapter has been about faith and Jesus perfects our faith. And now I'm paraphrasing a bit more. You know, look at what he endured. Consider him so you don't grow weary and faint-hearted. And now I'm skipping ahead to verse 18. We, because remember in the end of verse 11, uh, chapter 11, it's like we've received something better. We haven't come to terrifying Sinai. We are not in the Old Testament anymore. We've come to where God reigns. To the community of believers, to Jesus who's covered us by his blood. I mean, what a bunch, if you're praying, that's a bunch of prophecies, sorry, uh, promises and strategies there. Your community of believers, get them around you. Remind yourself God reigns. Remember, you're covered by Jesus' blood. It's good stuff. And the next verse, verse 25, be careful then and don't refuse to hear him who speaks. All right, so I sprinted through that. Let me go back, keeping verse 25, be careful then, don't refuse to hear whom he speaks in your mind. So in verse 1 of um, chapter 12, after we've got these examples of faith, but before we get to the bit where he says Jesus perfects our faith, the writer says, throw off everything that hinders and weighs you down and the sin that clings and entangles, so that you can run and persevere in faith. And I want to pose to you that what hinders and weighs us down, the sin that clings and entangles, is unbelief, is a mindset that refuses to hear God when he speaks. So remember, God can't lie and Jesus is God. So perhaps when Jesus says things like, you can ask anything in my name and I will do it. If you have this much faith, you can tell a mountain and it will throw itself into the sea. Greater things will you do than I will do. And if you or I have this response in us, I do. Even to some of the words of the songs this morning, I was like, yeah, yeah, but, you know, I I haven't seen it. Look, I've tried. Um, Yeah, got that out of context. We need to keep in mind that in verse 25 it says, don't refuse to hear him who speaks. And the rest of chapter 12 is actually pretty sobering. It talks of God at like this consuming fire with Mount Sinai, you know, in their head. Um, You know, I reckon Mount Sinai was probably erupting a volcano actually. That's one of the reasons they were probably pretty terrified about approaching it. Uh, You know, don't refuse to hear him who speaks. Throw off what entangles. Throw off that unbelief and fix your eyes on Jesus who perfects our faith. So let us fix our eyes on Jesus. And I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus in Mark simply because that's where I've been reading lately um i love mark mark is uh, it's just really raw um i heard recently that it might it might have been the first gospel that was written um and in in mark we're kind of seeing jesus learning how his ministry is going to work uh and in case you're like wait 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 jesus is 100 god he knew everything well yeah but he was also 100 us so he's 100 god 100 percent human and he's supposed to be modeling for us how to do this thing day by day so, you know, Jesus knew the Old Testament. We know this. Um, and maybe while he was in the desert, you know, brought into the desert by the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, God outlined some things to him. That's quite possible. But I, I do suspect that God didn't give him every single step of things that's going to happen. I think God's like, you're going to have to do this day by day the way they're going to have to. So we're in chapter 1. Um and uh, it says that uh, Jesus returns uh, from the desert. He's full of the Holy Spirit, and he's in the synagogue um, preaching in Capernaum. So, Capernaum is kind of where he made his home base, it's, it's on the Sea of Galilee. I've actually had a chance to be there, it's lovely. So Jesus is preaching in the synagogue, and suddenly a demon afflicting a man gets up and starts reacting to the presence of the Holy Spirit in Jesus. And I suspect this surprised uh, the man, uh, the whole synagogue, and Jesus. Yes, Jesus can be surprised. Jesus is preaching. I don't expect, you know, if one of you got up and started manifesting it, would be surprising to me. <laughs> and Jesus is like, right, demon out. And everyone's like, and the demon leaves, and everyone's like, whoa. And their faith goes right up. Uh, and so what happens is, once the Sabbath is over, that night, they go to the house where Jesus is staying, and they bring their demon oppressed, and they bring their sick, and Jesus heals many of them, because they're like, we just saw you do that, so we know you can do that. Now, note, it doesn't say he healed all of them, just a little side note there, many were healed. And the next morning, um, because Jesus is 100% not like most of us, he got early to pray. <laughs> and I'm sure he was talking to God, and he's like, um, so that happened yesterday, is, is this how this is going to work? And it seems like it was because for the next few chapters, we see Jesus preaching in synagogues, casting out demons and healing the sick. Uh, and in chapter 4, we encounter Jesus on a boat asleep, crossing the lake after a long day of teaching. Asleep after a long day of teaching? High five. And I want you to consider when we hear that a storm rose up, what happens when Jesus gets off the boat? So he's going into the region of the Gerasenes And when he gets off the boat, straight away he's met by a man who has a legion of demons in him. Now, a legion is 4,200 to 6,000 Roman soldiers. And remember, Jesus casts the demons into the pigs, into 2,000 pigs. So Jesus has gone from one demon to casting out thousands of demons. Is it any wonder, possibly, those thousands of demons, feeling the approaching power of the Holy Spirit, were like, ah, go away, go away, storm, storm. And Jesus wakes and goes, Uh, not going to work, guys, uh, and tells the storm to stop. And so when he arrives, he casts out the demons, and the people of that region are like, please go away. And so he does. Uh, he gets back on the boat and heads back to um, Capernaum, probably Capernaum, or one of the towns nearby. But it's an area where he has previously been ministering, and so people are like, they are, when he gets off the boat, they're all there with expectant faith. Uh, they're crowding around him including the ruler of the synagogue, who may well have been in the synagogue when that first um, demonized man was set free. And his daughter is dying. Now, he has expectant faith. He's like, Jesus, if you lay your hands on my daughter, she will get well. And so Jesus is like, off we go. But in the crowd is a woman with even more expectant faith. She's like, I just need to touch the fabric on his clothes and I'll be healed. And that, that violates the laws of normality okay, I mean, all of us can sort of understand, maybe if you touch someone, maybe, I don't know, but like just fabric, and Jesus in response, so the Holy Spirit responds to that expectant faith with a surge of power, and Jesus feels it go through him and out of him to this woman, he's like, whoa, wait a second, pause, I'm feeling the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, and he investigates what's going on, and he finds out it's in a result, it's as a result of this woman's expectant faith, because he says, woman, your faith has healed you, And I reckon uh, Jesus is probably like, Father, that's amazing. I don't even have to do anything and people get prayed. I mean, that is so cool. I think Jesus is excited. I think Jesus has expectant faith now. And so, but meanwhile, the girl has died. And they're like, oh, don't bother Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I can feel the power and presence of God. My father is doing something here. I've just seen what he can do with somebody's expectant faith. Take me to the girl. And so when they arrive there, the Bible gives us, now I understand grief. I understand weeping and wailing when someone has died, okay? But the Bible gives us the impression that these are kind of like they're making a commotion and they're sort of really getting into the whole, oh, she's dead, she's dead. And they're declaring death all over the place. And Jesus, meanwhile, says, well, actually, I think there's some life here. And they laugh at him. And so Jesus is like right out because he doesn't want that stuff that's going to repel the presence of the Holy Spirit. That skepticism, the speaking words of death. What he does do is he brings his disciples into the room because he's a teacher and he wants them to see this. And he also brings the parents into the room because that's modelling good child safety. <laughs> All right, well, really? Seriously? Seriously? So we've got this girl there, and the parents can see their dead girl on that bed. Now, for anyone who's like a little skeptical, it's like, look. We have modern technology. She probably wasn't really dead, you know. Um, that is so hypocritical and snobbish towards people from 2,000 years ago. As someone who has recently seen someone freshly dead, you know when someone is dead, okay? It is. So, take that in. They're seeing very clearly dead girl. And Jesus takes her by the hand. She sits up. It says they were overcome with amazement probably somebody fainted or screamed or ran out of the room or just went oh my goodness because this is an astounding miracle I think we can all agree it definitely violates the laws of normality which is what a miracle is like I love those people who are like oh this happened in my day and it was such a miracle no it didn't violate the laws of normality um it was a wonderful thing that happened and I don't think it was a coincidence I really think God did it but it wasn't a miracle uh, because that negate that line of language negates when we really see. We need some words to describe when just amazing stuff happens. So what we see happen next is Jesus goes to another place. And it's important there's like a chapter break there, and often we go, and that's the end of the story. This is a completely separate, unrelated story. But remember the chapter breaks were imposed later. It says the next place Jesus went to is Nazareth, which is where he grew up. Now, it's about a 45-minute drive, a 10-hour walk. So, depending on how fast they walk, somewhere between, you know, 24 to 36 hours later, he's in Nazareth. And he's the same Jesus who cast 2,000-plus demons out of someone who didn't actually have to do anything for someone to get radically healed of something that had, you know, oppressed them for years and years and years, uh, and who raised the dead. It's the same Jesus, but it's a different place. And so he's in a synagogue uh, in the hometown. It's a place where he grew up. And the people there, they know him, and they're not impressed. You know, familiarity breeds contempt is the saying. And they're like, you know, the phrases there are, we know you. Yeah, you, you we know your sisters, we know your brothers. They have contempt. Um, uh, We've heard about everything you're doing in Capernaum. All right, you know, show us. Let's see if it's God's will to heal today. Uh, you know, I'm not going to believe it unless I see it. You know, they have arrogance and they're sceptical. The Bible says they were offended by him. Uh, That's actually not how you interpret the Bible, Jesus. You know, maybe he said this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's not how you interpret the Bible. And, And also, that's actually not how God operates. And I think we can all agree that that is not attractive, but rather quite repelling as attitudes. And all Jesus could do in Nazareth, the town where he grew up, was heal a few people. I mean, that's great. Frankly, uh, I will take healing any day. But it's not the miracles we saw, you know, 24 to 36 hours ago. It's the same Jesus. And it says Jesus was blown away by their unbelief. He's targeted that mindset matters, that unbelief quenches and repels the Holy Spirit, but expectant faith attracts the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we have this now and not yet framework in in the vineyard. And I have found it so helpful of why we do and why we don't see God's rule breaking in or not breaking in at times. Um, And I want to honour it because it's so helpful. But when it comes to healing, and I look at the Bible, and I can clearly see it's God's will to heal. And I look at the ministry of Jesus. I see in the ministry of Jesus an awful lot of now. And I don't see much not yet. And when I do see not yet, unbelief is a factor in not yet you know, or how powerfully God can be present, that, it, that belief has an effect on the presence of God. And also that it can be locational, as in Nazareth, or, for example, in Western culture. You know, we sit in a Western culture. You know, you know that you know, we hear these things about you know, healings and miracles, you know, millions of people coming you know, to Christ in non-Western countries. But we sit in a culture, we have a mindset, a way of thinking that is permeated undergirded, and sort of like a, this web of unbelief. Uh, we, we, we sit in a culture of atheism, of agnosticism. Is God really there? Of skepticism, of, you know, you need to prove it to me. You know, I have to see it to believe it. And I've had those words even from Christians. It affects us. Our culture affects us. So, when we hear God's truth, ask anything in my name and I will do it for you. If you tell this mountain to move, it will pick itself up and throw itself into the sea. You are going to do greater things than I did. Jesus cast out 2,000 demons out of someone or more. He raised people from the dead and he said, you're going to do greater things than I did. Nevertheless, something rises up in us. Yeah, yeah, but... Or perhaps perhaps when we hear something like, you know, Reinhard Bonnke during his life won 72 million conversions to Christianity. There's a part of us that goes, really, 70, oh, sorry, 79 million? Or we downplay it. We're like, oh, yeah, well, that's Africa. Plus, you know, we do. We grow weary. It is hard not seeing a prayer answered. You know, we get disappointed. We get burned. You know, we want God's kingdom to break in. The Bible says his kingdom is going to break in. We don't see it break in. And so we can become resistant in ourselves. We stay in the not yet rather than being open to the now. The Bible calls that getting, having our hearts get hard. And remember, in Hebrews 11, it says that our faith pleases God. And in Hebrews 12, it says, don't refuse to hear God. It's something that hinders our faith. God wants us to seek his presence with persevering, expectant faith. He wants us to change our mindset and our way of thinking if it's fallen into patterns or it's just been caught a bit in certain parts of our life in unbelief because our faith matters to God. He wants us to consider the cloud of witnesses because that builds our faith so we can find them, as I've already pointed out today in the Word of God. You can find them in the lives of past Christians. If you need a faith builder, read Reese Howes' biography. Read about George Mueller. They're dangerous books. You know, um, read the test. Actually, I will mention it. Uh, Reinhard Bonnke, so he studied at the Bible school that Rhys Houses set up the Bible school with amazing, like, with no money. It's amazing. And his son, who he gave up so that he could be a missionary in Africa and win thousands of souls to Christ, um, his son then took on the leadership of the Bible college and Reinhard Bonnke studied under him. So there's this expectant faith. Can lead to more expectant faith. Uh, Listen to the testimony of other Christians you know. I've shared part of my testimony today, and think about your own stories of where God has broken in because faith can grow. It can be catching, but most of all, fix our eyes on Jesus because He's the author and perfecter of our faith. You know, declare truth to ourselves. You know, when we're struggling about you know what Jesus did in His Bible, and He said we're going to do greater things that we are covered by His blood. You know, look at the things he said, that you can ask anything in my name. And run with perseverance. God wants us to run with perseverance, even when we, like Job, like the Hebrews, are like me, with my dad, when we're not seeing the kingdom break in. Praise God. God wants us to praise him when we see small signs that things are shifting. Zechariah 4.10 says, don't despise the day of small beginnings, because that takes ground from the enemy. It builds our faith and invites the Holy Spirit in and then we might see more. You know, we can speak, God wants us to speak truth over our lives that he rules, he does heal and all the things he did say, even when it has been a long, long race or it's been a hard, hard race, even when we're not seeing the kingdom break in because we don't realise what ground we're taking when we declare God's goodness and the truth about God in that moment. When dad was diagnosed, he got a word. And my dad wasn't actually someone who got words, so even that is amazing in itself. Uh, the victory is won. And he really clung to that. He embraced it and he looked for ways in which it was fulfilled. Three days before he died, and at the time I, I did not know, I still had, thought he had weeks and months, um, God instructed me to change my plans and to go and visit my father and pray with him. I thought I actually would be praying while he was, a, you know, while he was sleeping. Um, but, you know being my dad he woke up he was there for me uh and this frail man he he's barely able to lift his head declared God's goodness and God's love and God's victory and I tell you in that moment the atmosphere was so spiritually charged I could hear the angels roaring victory because kingdom victory doesn't always look like how we expect it to look and the devil is such a loser. He attacks us, and he just, even yesterday I was speaking with someone, and he pushes us towards God. He attacks us, and God goes, I'm going to work that for your good. He steals from us, and God's like, I'll give you something better. And it's often himself. As I mentioned earlier, this is not about doing magic. You, know, you get rid of unbelief, and you have expectant faith, you'll see the outcome you want. It's, it's fix your eyes on Jesus, on God in faith. And so this is kind of like the most exciting part because I don't know what happens next. I do know that I want us to spend a moment, want each of us to spend a moment just fixing our eyes on God because I, I suspect if you're a human being, there are things that I've talked about that have raised thoughts in you about how you, we're, you know, we can't help it in our culture. We, I This morning I'm singing songs and I'm like, oh, wow, it's one of those words. I don't know if I can sing that. I don't know if I believe that. Unbelief. So do know I want to pray about that. And I don't know what else God wants to do this morning. I'm very open to what he wants to do. But I want us just to spend a moment uh, or longer, however God, longer God wants, in quietness, will you just, however you want to do it, whether you stay in your chair, whether you come up, whether you kneel, just take some time of your week to fix your eyes on God. Right now. <laughs> I'm not going to... Create an atmosphere. I'm not manipulating things. God is present. I have no doubt of that. My whole body is quivering with the presence of God. Very quietly quivering, but it's there. I know he's here. I think about all the stuff that he's done. Come, Holy Spirit. So I'm, I'm confident I know God is present and his faith. I can feel his presence building in the room. I can see that you guys are doing business with him and keep doing that. You don't have to listen to me. But one of the things I want to pray for us now is to get rid of some of that cultural unbelief, that spirit of unbelief that pervades our culture. God, we are sorry for the... for every way in which we've agreed with our culture. We've doubted you. Well, we've come to church without any expectation that you will be here. We're sorry how we've grieved you, Holy Spirit. Really sorry. Sorry we've hurt you. It wasn't okay. We thank you that you love us even when we hurt you. I thank you, Father, that you are never content to see us wrapped in unbelief. You are always looking for ways to set us free. Come, Holy Spirit. So I speak. To the spirits of unbelief in our culture and in this room, specifically in this room today, I say get out in Jesus' name. I tell scepticism, out. I tell doubts about whether God is real or not, agnosticism. Spirit of agnosticism, leave this room in Jesus' name, amen. Atheism, there is no God. Get out. Oh, okay. something's definitely happened. That was that was something. One of you, I know that that was the spirit, that arrogant spirit that demands that God look how I how I expect Him to look. Get out in Jesus' name. spirit that demands proof, that sceptical scientific spirit of our age, leave this room in Jesus' name, amen, and get off the people here who you've been afflicting. There may be some of you in a moment who want to get more specific prayer for that. But I also want to pray, come Holy Spirit. Come Spirit who builds our faith. Who points us to the Jesus, the same Jesus who's done all that stuff I talked about, but who has done amazing stuff here before. Lord, fill us with your expectant faith. Fill us with you. Lord, we need you. Really, at heart, what we need is you, your presence.